What I want to talk to you about this morning is uh, what we're going to be launching in May and what that is are community groups or what I'm calling covenant life groups. And that should be the, the handout that you have in front of you right now. It should read uh, covenant life groups. If you do not have that, please raise your hand. Someone will get that to you. Covenant life groups. My original plan was to just preach through this and have you take notes, but I thought it would be more beneficial if you had the notes and uh, we just uh, <clears throat> read through them together. And so that's what you have in front of you. They're essentially just uh, my raw notes. Uh, please misprints or other uh, grammatical mistakes that uh, might be therein. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing on You've given us another day that we can come and uh, be in your house. And uh, we know that this is indeed your house. This is where you dwell in a very special way on the earth. And uh, so when we come here, uh, we come to your throne. And uh, what we do here is uh, therefore observed also in a very special way. Uh, we are here uh, before our King, before King Jesus. And so I would pray that uh, as he looks out onto his people, that what he would see would be pleasing to him. Most specifically, hearts that are attentive and uh, listening to what it is that is being taught uh, from your word. In his most glorious and precious name we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, what we are going to be launching uh, starting in May are community groups. And so, I want to talk about that with you, and the first place to start to do that is Acts chapter 5. So if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. If you want to learn uh, what the church calls ecclesiology, which is just the study of the church, uh, and you only had one book to pick to do that in the Bible, the book of Acts would be the place to go because essentially that's what the book of Acts is about. Sometimes we say uh, it is the Acts of the Apostles, but that really doesn't go far enough because it's it's really the Acts of the Apostles in establishing the church. And so uh, as it relates to this particular uh, subject, uh, community groups, as we're going to see, this too is a part of uh, their ecclesiology or a part of the practice of the church or the early church. So Acts chapter 5, if you'll look with me then at verse 42, the very final verse there in that particular chapter, we read these words, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Remember what I told you about that word Christ? And uh, I've done this in my Bible. Uh, I continue to do this as I find the word uh, in my Bible, Christ. I've uh, put below that the word king, uh, because again, that's what that term means. And so uh, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the king is Jesus. But notice again, two things are mentioned here. There are two different, in other words, venues where the apostles were teaching this. Two different uh, venues where they met with the church for teaching and preaching 
that the king is Jesus. The first of these is uh, the temple. Again, notice, and every day in the temple. Uh, that we might call the uh, larger venue or larger meeting place. Most specifically, according to uh, verse 12 of this same chapter, uh, we're told that uh, this place, the temple, uh, what that refers to is Solomon's uh, portico. If you notice there in verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together. So they're meeting there together. It's the larger venue, the entire church meeting there in that place in Solomon's portico or court. So this was the courtyard, the outside courtyard there attached uh, to the temple. And so this is where they would meet on the Lord's Day or on uh, Sunday. The entire church, just as we do, would come together in that place for corporate worship. And we're talking about, based on the uh, the number of men that we were that were told uh, in uh, Acts up to this point, uh, the number of men that were in the church at this point were 5,000 men. That means that we have roughly a group of about 15,000 people. And so they needed a large area uh, to meet, and, th- and this is where they met. Uh, next, we're told uh, that they also met, going back to our, our text here, Acts uh, 5.42, they met in the temple and, notice, from house to house. So in the temple and then from house to house. This we might call the smaller venue, the smaller venue. During the week, church members would be divided into smaller groups and meet in different houses. Hence the reason the text says this was taking place every day. Notice again, every day and every day. What's it talking about? Well, uh, every day of the week. Every day of the week was devoted to some form of meeting either corporate worship or community group. The large number of church members, the small size of the first century house, and the fact that everyone relied on the apostles' direct teaching. Think about it. There was uh, nothing at this point that was written down. Meant different community groups every day of the week just to get through all the people. Right? To function this way meant... Uh, There needed to be a meeting every day of the week outside of the Lord's Day corporate meeting together. Here then is the biblical basis for uh, community groups, the practice of the early church. This was their practice. What again was that practice? Temple court for church on Sundays and every other day of the week, different community groups to accommodate all the people. This practice is also mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. If you turn there, so a couple of chapters back uh, there at chapter 2, or in rather chapter 2, look there in verse 46. And day by day here again, uh, just a different rendering of what we saw uh, there in 542 every day here. It's and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So uh, there are those two things again, temple for church and uh, in the homes uh, for community groups, or what I'm calling community groups. Move up a couple of verses there to verse uh, 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Most believe, most scholars believe that these verses are in reference uh, not to the uh, temple church service, to corporate worship, but rather uh, are a reference to the community groups. Especially since, as we saw in verse 46, going back to that text, uh, this is the place where the breaking of the bread is taking place. Notice again, and breaking bread in their homes. Breaking bread in their homes. And so it's connected to the meeting in the home versus to uh, Sunday worship, as it is in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, which is most likely a reference to uh, the Lord's table. Uh, that term, by the way, breaking of bread, is just a generic term uh, that refers to eating or enjoying food together. What we what we call uh, hospitality. Okay. As such, there are four things that are to be taking place in these community groups. Four things, according to what we see there in verse forty-two. Uh, the first we've already talked about: the apostles' teaching, or the sermon. The apostles' teaching, or the sermon. The second, fellowship. Koinonia is the uh, the term in Greek, and it, and, and it means. Uh, to share, as in uh, to share our lives with each other. And so they were committed to uh, the sermon, discussing the sermon, as well as sharing their lives with each other. The third is uh, the breaking of bread, which again, we've already uh, talked about, hospitality. They were committed to that as well. And then the fourth and last uh, uh, commitment, or the thing that they were devoted to was prayer. Prayer. What then community groups or covenant life groups for us, what they're going to look like? Small groups of church family meeting midweek in a host home to do four things. The first, discuss questions related to the most recent sermon. And uh, I will be preparing those questions for you. Uh, Those will go out most likely on Mondays, and you will have those uh, in preparation for your time of discussion. Number two, uh, to share our lives with one another. And that includes, as I'm saying here, our backstories. How many of us know each other's backstories? This is how we get to know one another. Where did you come from? How were you raised? Tell me about you, your backstory. The third thing that these uh, these groups will be committed to is, uh, again, going from what we have in Acts 2.42, uh, experiencing the hospitality of enjoying good food together. And then the fourth and final thing, uh, to praying for one another. So for the remainder of March, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be training you in preparation uh, for that or for those groups. That's what we're going to do through uh, the end of March. And then in April, while I'm uh, again on sabbatical, uh, I will be determining the host homes and then uh, solidifying essentially which uh, group we would like you to be a part of. And then we will be purchasing the necessary chairs for the host homes and anything else that we need uh, to provide a welcoming and comfortable environment for those groups so that in uh, May uh, we're ready to launch. Okay. That being said, I want to spend the remainder of our time then uh, talking about the reasons that you 
uh, should be excited for this new addition to our church, that you should be excited to be a part of these community groups, or again, as I'm calling them, covenant life groups. Here's the first reason. Retainage. Retainage. Community groups will promote better retainage of those biblical truths established each week during the sermon. Rediscussion equals retainage. When you rediscuss things or discuss things that have already been discussed, you tend to retain that material better. Hence the reason that Peter says what he does in 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's what he says, starting in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you. It's another way of saying to rediscuss with you these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder or rediscussion. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Rediscussion, again, equals uh, retainage. This phrase, stir you up by way of reminder. Rediscussing what has already been discussed causes it to be stirred up, literally thoroughly mixed into your brain. That's what happens, and that's, uh, uh, again, what that uh, term uh, or phrase stirred up is referring to, uh, to be thoroughly mixed into. You think about ingredients that uh, you put into something that you're making, and uh, for that thing to uh, be spread throughout whatever it is that you're making, you need to thoroughly mix it in there, right? And that's that idea of uh, retainage, right? It's in there. It's deep. It's embedded in the mind or in the brain. And so this is the idea behind uh, what Peter is saying here. This is the reason that he speaks of rediscussion. It's rediscussion unto retainage. Retainage. Putting them that all together, rediscussing it causes it to be, again, thoroughly mixed into our brain so that, again, his phrase, we may be able at any time to recall these things. There's the retainage piece. Recollection. Recalling things, the result of such stirring or mixing through rediscussion. Again, retainage, retainage. The average adult retains uh, roughly 5% of what they hear in an hour-long sermon, 5%. 90% of it is gone after the first 10 minutes. That number increases to 50% or more if the material is rediscussed. From five to 50. Now that may uh, still not seem like a lot uh, to go from uh, five to just 50, but it is if you consider it from the perspective of uh, the number of pages. Uh, 50% means five full pages of information. Why do I say that? Well, the average hour long sermon, at least the hour long sermons that I give to you, uh, covers about 10 pages worth of material. So uh, the sheet that you have in front of you, for example, uh, this one's actually a, a little bit on the lighter side. It's around 1,800 uh, words or just over 1,800 words. The average uh, sheet of paper that I normally give you with notes is between 2,500 and 3,500 words. 
250 words per page is essentially what they say for uh, the standard book. So you're talking 10 plus pages of material. You use just the number 10 or uh, as it regards what you have in front of you today, uh, that would be four pages at 50% on eight, right? Uh, from that perspective, 50%, I would say, is a lot. Four to five pages of material being retained. Uh, the second thing as it relates to this issue, uh, and uh, forgive me if this doesn't make much sense, but it's the only way I could think of putting it, anticipation of rediscussion. Uh, that, too, equals retainage. What do I mean that uh, by that? Anticipation of rediscussion. Well, knowing that I need to participate in the rediscussion of the sermon in my community group encourages more focus and better retention of the material on Sunday, does it not? If you know that on Wednesday you're going to have to talk about what we're talking about right now and you're going to have to answer questions, doesn't that cause you to listen a little differently or better? Let me... uh, hopefully interest you in uh, something else that you may not uh, currently be doing. Uh, handwritten notes. Uh, taking handwritten notes during the sermon. Uh, now, I know that because I give you notes that in one respect, I'm kind of defeating that. Uh, but adding your own notes or additional notes to it are helpful. Uh, there was a study that was done recently, and I've given you the uh, article where you can uh, you can see the discussion on this, a learning secret, don't take notes on a laptop. Uh, They did a a study on this between uh, college students who use laptops to take notes versus those that uh, use uh, pen and paper or pencil and paper. And they found that uh, when you do it, uh, when you do it in a handwritten form, uh, it creates better listening and more cognitive function, which increases your initial retention. Uh, because to write things, your brain has to think through uh, what it is that it's writing versus they found with typing, uh, there is a sense of detachment that actually happens. Your brain goes more into dictation mode. And so uh, handwriting things are uh, is a better way to get more out of uh, the sermon when you hear it. But both of those things, uh, and again, both of those things in relation to the community group, Uh, Take away something that has been a big problem for me on this end for years, knowing that uh, most of you are leaving here and getting very little of what's preached on Sunday. Unless, of course, you're listening to it again or or doing things like that. Okay. The second thing, uh, growth. The second reason that you should be excited about this is uh, growth. Community groups will give you the ability to fulfill your obligation to grow the kingdom. And that's exactly what Ephesians 4 says is your obligation. You, the people, the congregation, have an obligation, just as I do, to grow uh, the kingdom. And that in two ways. If you look at Ephesians 4, if you turn there, rather, turn there and look with me at uh, verses 11 through 16, you'll see what I'm talking about. Here, speaking of Jesus, Jesus gave to the church, apostles, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, or missionaries, the shepherds and teachers, or shepherd teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves 
and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, two things we're told here in these verses, two things that God's pastors or teachers are to equip the saints to do. The first is, again, going back to verse 12, the first is uh, the work of ministry. Notice again, to equip the saints, you, you're the ones being equipped for the work of ministry. What is that talking about? Well, uh, what he's speaking about there is uh, what we might call external growth or evangelism. Going out and bringing people into the kingdom, growing the kingdom uh, that way. The second, as you notice there in that text, is building up the body of Christ. And that is what he then unpacks for us in those uh, remaining verses. This is what we might call internal growth or maturity and loyalty or growth in maturity and loyalty. And that's what we saw uh, in those verses. Both of those things, maturity, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So maturity, that idea of unity there. Again, verse 13, unity of the faith, loyalty to one another and to our king so that we're no longer tossed to and fro. We grow up. In every way, verse 15 again, growing up into him who is the head, into Christ or the king. And how we do that is when each part, verse 16 again, is working properly, each part referring to you, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love or what? Love is, love equals loyalty, right? So two things, two ways that Community groups help us do that then, to fulfill our obligation to grow the kingdom. Externally, evangelism, that being, again, the work of the ministry, and then also internally or maturity and loyalty, growing in those things, building up the existing body of Christ. How then we should think of the church? We should think of the church as an ammunition depot, When you come here on Sunday, you are coming here to get refueled and restocked for the work that you're then going to go out and do during the week to advance our king's kingdom. That again, externally, as well as internally. It should be mentioned that community groups are a far more conducive environment for evangelism than the alien and often intimidating world of the church service. In other words, it's much easier to invite people to our community group and church. Hence the reason, if you go back to uh, our text in Acts, Acts chapter 2, it is actually mentioned there that this is where God was adding to their number. He was doing it through the community groups. Again, this text being primarily focused on uh, the community groups. Look at verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Where that was taking place or the uh, the venue where that was taking place was through the community groups. That's what we're being told. 
Community groups are therefore a great way to make sure that we are not the last guy in Jesus' parable of the talents. Remember that from Matthew 25, the last guy? The master comes back and uh, the last guy that he deals with, or the last servant or slave that he talks to, uh, we're told, uh, buried his talent. The master gave him... uh, some of his resources to invest, and uh, the last individual, instead of uh, taking those resources and investing them, he, he just puts them in the ground. Which means what? He, and what that parable represents is uh, the resources of our life. It means that that person did nothing to advance God's kingdom. And we don't want to be that. That's what Jesus is telling us, at least from that parable, as it relates to that last guy. Because where that last guy goes is to the place of darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He goes to hell because of that. And so community groups help us. They are, again, a great way to keep us from becoming that kind of person, a person who has never contributed to the external or internal growth of the king's kingdom. On that note, community groups also, or only rather, work especially as it relates to evangelism, if we are all committed to attending and participating. Think about it. No one will be encouraged to join our ranks if the community group they attend is sparse and filled with awkward silence. Your presence and participation can make the difference in bringing someone to Christ. What does that mean? God gives points for assists when it comes to evangelism. Just by you being there. And really, this is a... This is also, I think, referenced in the scripture, this idea of giving points for assists. This is what Jesus is talking about in verses 35 through 38 of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 35. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who weeps sorry, reaps, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You are assisting others, right? Isn't that what he's saying? One person sows and another reaps. Someone is assisting the one who started things. And that's what you're doing by being a part of the group. You say, well, I never uh, actually invited someone to the community group. But yeah, by, by you being there, maybe you're the difference. Because they don't come to a group that has like three people that show up that particular Wednesday or whatever day that your group happens to meet. What does that feel like when you you walk into something like that and there's like three people there? And, and, and everybody just is kind of waiting around for somebody else to start reading the questions. And by the time you get done with the group, the visitors answered more questions than the people who were there. Right? Versus they come into a warm, welcoming body of people who are fired up to be there, who are participating in that group. You didn't bring them, but you share in the labor by being a part of it. And as a result, that person says, you know what? This is the kind of group that I want to be a part of. This is the kind of group that I've been looking for. It leads us to number three. The third reason you should be excited about this new addition is identity. Identity. Community groups also help us get rid 
of the sinful, self-oriented identity given at our birth and possessed by Satan, and instead gain the team-oriented identity possessed by our king, the one needed also to get to heaven. Mark chapter 10 is the text uh, we'll look at to uh, consider this point, identity. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, and Jesus called them to him, his disciples, and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant or slave. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This term, uh, rulers, arcane in the Greek, it can refer to either a good or a bad ruler, but when it's coupled with this idea of lording it over someone, it always refers to the latter, to a bad kind of ruler. It is the kind of ruler whose decisions or actions only serve self-interest rather than what is good or fair for everyone, what we call equity. It is this kind of ruler who leads, uh, it is this kind of ruler who leads by position and power and never by example. This is the kind of ruler Jesus is referring to when he uses this word in relation to Satan in John 12, 31. The point then not to miss, though Jesus was a leader or ruler, he did not lead by power or position, but example and decisions that established equity. Again, what was good and fair or served everyone versus just himself. In other words, Jesus' identity was team-oriented. Team-oriented. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, let me just say this. This is, if there's anything you want to highlight or underline or circle, it's this. Because here's what I can tell you about every single person in this room. Because we are image bearers, that means that the thing that is most important to every single person, doesn't matter your age, is your identity. You are constantly considering your identity. That is by far the most important thing to sentient or self-aware beings, their identity. And so you need to listen to what we're talking about now because you fit into one of these two categories that we're talking about or we're about to to talk about. Jesus was Team-oriented, that was his identity, which means this. His approval of self, and when I say we're concerned about identity, that's what it is. The approval of self, how he determined that. We all want to feel good about our identity. How he determined that, whether self was successful, that's what we're looking for. All of us are looking for that. His approval of self or how he determined whether self was successful was determined by his sacrifice or contribution to the success of the team or group, meaning that he was a part of. Let me just read that again. I want you to just soak it in. Think about this. This is what it means to be team-oriented in your identity. Your approval of self, 
whether you like self or not, how you determine whether self is successful or unsuccessful at any age. If you are team-oriented, that is determined by your sacrifice or contribution to the success or the team of the team or group you're a part of. Meaning that's how you assess yourself. Am I a value add? Am I an asset to the team or group I'm a part of? Or am I a liability? What team are we a part of? If you've been baptized, you are a part of team Jesus. You are a part of his kingdom, his church. Are you a value add? Are you an asset to that team? What contribution are you making to the team? See, that's how you assess whether or not you like yourself, if you're team-oriented. That was Jesus. Hence the reason he says what he does in verse 45 again. The Son of Man did not come to be served. It wasn't about him. It was about instead serving the team. What is Jesus saying by that? He's saying, I assess myself by my contribution to the team. And I'm going to make, because of that, the ultimate sacrifice to give my life as a ransom for the team. For the team. In contrast, then, here's the other side. The person whose identity is self-oriented, not team-oriented, self-oriented, determines their success or approval of self based on getting what they want. I'm happy with me. I approve of me if me gets what me wants. Irrespective of whether what they want benefits the team or the group that they're a part of. The word we use for that oftentimes is selfish. As long as you're getting what you want, you could care less about whether or not what you get benefits the team. This is the identity tied to our fallen feelings given at birth. And what, therefore, those who operate according to their feelings have as their identity, a self-oriented identity. In other words, if you are a person ruled by your feelings, if feelings are what determine right and wrong or the decisions that you make in life, uh, then you are a self-oriented person. That is your identity. This is also what Jesus is referring to when he speaks of dying to self as necessary to follow him and get to heaven. You cannot be a self-oriented person and get to heaven. Why then community groups will help us get rid of this sinful self-orientation and make us care more about the success of the team? Why? Simple answer, because their success, meaning the community group's success or failure, will be determined by its members. In other words, it will be determined by you. I will not be a part of them, at least Uh, not in the way that you will be a part of them. I won't be their teaching. There will be no teaching in that respect. They are, again, your ministry. Remember, I'm equipping you to do the ministry. My part is, again, merely just to equip you to do it. And nothing gives you the team spirit like realizing its success is on your shoulders. Whether it succeeds or fails is up to you. Good examples of this, uh, a good example of this is kids becoming parents. All of a sudden, uh, this isn't always true, but uh, it is something that uh, happens quite a bit. 
uh, kids are very selfish and then they become parents and everything changes. Why? Uh, because uh, for the first time, they're responsible for the success or survival of someone other than themselves. Isn't that true? Same thing once more with respect to community groups. Daddy pastor is not going to be the one making sure that it thrives or dies. That's going to be on you. So again, uh, community groups can and will hopefully encourage this that you uh, start transitioning, for those of you who are not yet there, from being very self-oriented to team-oriented because the success of that community group that you're a part of is very much going to be determined by every single person in that group. Uh, The fourth reason you should be excited, zeal, zeal. Given what we just discussed, community groups have the benefit of establishing or reestablishing zeal for our king. This is often the fruit associated with something becoming more than theoretical. We gain a passion or zeal for doing it. What am I talking about? Well, rather than just learning about ministry and watching me do it, you see me every Sunday doing ministry, uh, you now will be in the driver's seat. An analogy from sports and the military, watching athletes or soldiers competing or fighting or hearing their stories versus actually being the one out there catching the ball as the athlete or firing the bullets as the soldier. Passion or zeal is born through hands-on action. Getting to actually use what you've been learning to lead others to our king or grow them in their walk realizing that what you do in your participation actually determines the success of something changes you. It changes you. All of a sudden, you two are burdened to see our king and his kingdom become successful because now you play a real part in that. This is the reason that uh, so many kids go off to college and uh, will get saved in college and are very passionate about Christ uh, if, if that happens. And the reason for that is because they become a part of these things called uh, uh, parachurch ministries. And uh, parachurch ministries are like community groups. As a matter of fact, community groups are just parachurch ministries that Jesus approves of. Uh, but, but parachurch ministries uh, are very much reliant on the people in those parachurch ministries. Their success and failure is determined by the attendance and the participation of those individuals. And because of that, because of that, that creates ownership in each individual person, which in turn creates passion, zeal for Christ and his kingdom. Number five, priorities. Priorities. Community groups will likewise help you get your priorities or to make sure that your priorities are all in the right place. They will require you to carve out time to be a part of them, which means that means that time is no longer, that particular time is no longer filled with things that were potentially doing nothing for the kingdom. And I'm not saying that that's true for everybody, but for some of you, that's probably true, right? You're filling your time with all kinds of things that do nothing as it relates to the advancing of our king's kingdom. This is something that Jesus warns us will happen if we are not careful If we're not careful, uh, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 34, but watch yourselves. Another way of putting that, be careful. 
Watch yourselves. Be careful lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. That word dissipation just means filling your time with things that, uh, that are not profitable. It doesn't matter what it is. Be careful lest your hearts, and what he means thereby hearts is your lives, what you're preoccupied with. They be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. He's speaking about the day of his return or the day that you go to him. Be careful, which means it's easy to do if we're not careful. We have an example of this, I believe, in uh, Revelation as it relates to uh, the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, there uh, we read these words, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. There to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. By the way, if you want to ask me a question about why he refers to this church in terms of an angel, remember to do that for our Q&A, because I think I can tell you why he does that and how it relates to the church today. So somebody write that down, and uh, I'll talk more about that in our Q&A. Notice in relation to this church what Jesus, however, says. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and he found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you... Repent. This you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the the paradise of God. The one thing I think we can say about this uh, church is that they did have uh, some things that were praiseworthy, or at least Jesus is giving them praise for uh, certain things. Again, verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. You test those who call themselves apostles but are not. You hate uh, the works of the Nicolaitans, verse 6. You've endured patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, verse 3, and have not grown weary. But again, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. What does he mean by that? Well, most likely... First love is uh, somehow uh, sometimes how it's translated in some of the English versions. Loyalty to Jesus and his agenda. First love, your priority. Our priority is always to be our loyalty to Jesus and his agenda. And Jesus' agenda is always about the advancement of his kingdom. So again, though they did have some things that uh, were praiseworthy, their priorities had ultimately gotten screwed up. And again easy to do. Hence the reason Jesus says, be careful. We live in a world, and uh, their world was no different than ours, a world always vying for the extra time and energy we possess. 
Many a person who started out with the right priorities will end up going to hell simply because they progressively let more and more of their time be filled with things that do nothing for the king or his kingdom. Community groups, therefore, can help us in that department. The excuse, I'm too busy training at the gym to be a ninja, or whatever other stupid things that people preoccupy themselves with, that obviously possess no value to the kingdom, will no longer fly in light of this more worthy and more eternally important commitment. Finally then, the sixth reason you should be excited about this, hospitality. Hospitality. Going back to that uh, phrase, the breaking of bread, uh, that is mentioned as a part of community groups, means that uh, this is an important practice, something that uh, we're going to learn uh, how to do, to be responsible for. It means seeing that uh, uh, these host homes are stocked with good and enjoyable food. And again, there's more to come on that in the future. I'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. For now, however, understand that God cares and uses this aspect of ministry to reach others according to Luke 16.9. You're to use your unrighteous mammon in this way. And the examples of Jesus feeding those who listened to his teaching and how he fed them. We need to be seen as hospitable, and that biblically defined, not defined as the world sees that, but how the Bible or God sees it, that biblically defined does not look like a bowl of whatever is left over in the pantry or I can scrounge together. Community groups are not to feel like a hobo's convention. Okay? Well, that's it, beloved. Uh, Hopefully, you are excited about this new edition, and I believe... Uh, it resolves a number of deficiencies currently existing in our body. And in this respect, I believe also uh, that it really has the potential to breathe new life uh, into our body, most especially as we use it to reach others uh, for our king. And so I am excited to see the fruit that you will bear uh, in doing this. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you've uh, helped me to to solve uh, some problems that have been there for some time. I thank you so much. For that, Lord, all the glory goes to you and to our King. And I pray that uh, now as we uh, attempt to do this and we prepare to do this, that you would give us the wisdom and uh, that you would uh, that you would clear the way. Use this to encourage your people to give uh, new zeal and passion to your people to grow us both internally as well as externally for your kingdom and for our King's glory. In his name we pray, in Jesus' name.